0: Good morning. It's a joy to be back here to hear the singing and experience it one more time. Let the kids experience it. It's special here. Uh I'm sure you've heard it a million times, but the walls and the voices and everything just blends together really well here. So I'm grateful to be able to participate in that again. Uh, thoughts on my mind today are about life in general. From a Christian perspective, why is life the way it is? Now, for some times, or some peoples, it can be, why is life so hard for me Another thought that hits Christians from time to time is why do the ungodly seem to flourish so much and prosper and everything just goes well for them and for me it's just a struggle. There's different thoughts along those lines and you can read through the Psalms and get a pretty good idea of what. All of them are. David does a pretty good job of describing that. And if you're on one of your mountaintops in life, you can read those things and just kind of glaze over them and say, those are other Christians that struggle with those things. They don't, Don't stop me down. I know my hope is built in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Plus, I'm on the mountaintop. My cattle are all in the fence and well-fed. Pigs, too. Those other Christians, they, they struggle. We all have those times. So I want to look at the contrast first. The ungodly... That we see as prospering and consider that for a moment, and then move on to the Christian who we maybe we feel like everything's just going wrong, or maybe we feel like everything's just not as easy as it should be. Why does God do that? Making us learn lessons and stuff like that? Are we in school? Is that what this life is here below? School? Or just test after test and trial after trial? No graduation until the graduation? Yes. A steady conformation into the image of Christ, right? That's what we're aiming for. If we look in Isaiah chapter 47, the ungodly have perhaps never had it as well as Babylon. You say, well, the ungodly in Hollywood seem to be doing pretty well, they seem to prosper, right? Well, the difference between your life and Hollywood is probably less than the difference between Hollywood and Babylon. These people really were on top of things. They didn't just have control over one person's life and say, okay, you're done living right now, or all your possessions are mine. They did that to whole towns. Cities, countries, even really bad, tough countries like the Assyrians. You know, those people that Jonah had to go and missionary to were no match for the Babylonians. So these, perhaps more than anybody else in all of history, were at the top. Things going well from a human perspective. Must looking at them and saying they've got their act together and they've got everybody else's else, everybody else's acts together as well. God had a different perspective on them. We'll read through these verses here. His description is quite a bit different. Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground, there is no throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for thou shalt no more be called tender and delicate. Take the millstones and grind meal. Uncover thy locks, make bare the leg, uncover the thigh, pass over the rivers. Thy nakedness shall be uncovered, yea, thy shame shall be seen. I will take vengeance. And I will not meet thee as a man. As for our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is his name, the Holy One of Israel. Sit thou silent and get thee into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans. For thou shalt no more be called the Lady of kingdoms. I was wroth with my people. I have polluted mine inheritance. And given them into thine hand. Thou didst show them no mercy. Upon the ancient hast thou very heavily laid thy yoke. And thou saidst, I shall be a lady forever. So that thou didst not lay these things to thy heart. Neither didst remember the latter end of it. Okay, so here's a description of somebody that has absolute power over Israel, the physical manifestation of God's people on this earth. Absolute power to say, you older people, you're a slave now. You're going to pick up a heavy burden that you really shouldn't be carrying anymore, and you're going to carry it until you die your life is over you serve me now God is saying in the midst of that exhibition of power the Babylonian is actually completely undone everything in life is actually going wrong We think of one bit of bad news and we focus on that and we get all torn apart about it, don't we? Well, you read here everything we just read says everything in life is bad and falling apart. Not just one thing that would cause us to become undone. But every area you look at it's wrong. There's no throne to sit on, okay? Your position as ruler is gone. Now you're going to be grinding flour so that other people can have bread. Okay, now you're the slave. Oh, you don't have clothing. No protection from the elements. Under the vengeance of God, no more to be called the lady of kingdoms. Why? Because of the way that Babylon handled the Lord's people. Verse 8, Now therefore, therefore, hear now this, thou that art given to pleasures that dwellest carelessly, that sayest in thine heart, I am and none else beside me, I shall not sit as a widow, neither shall I know the loss of children, but these two things shall come to thee in a moment in one day, the loss of children and widowhood. They shall come upon thee in their perfection for the multitude of thy sorceries and for the great abundance of thine enchantments. For thou hast trusted in thy wickedness, thou hast said, None seeth me. Thy wisdom and thy knowledge, it hath perverted thee. And thou hast said in thine heart, I am and none else beside me. Babylon had lifted itself up as if it was above the rest of humanity. They were special, almost like gods here on the earth. And exalted themselves as gods. God's. And not only all the curses of the first verses that we read, where they lose their rulership, they lose their possessions, they lose their clothing, shelter, all of that. But God has promised even to touch their family. Widowhood and the loss of children. Basically, going through everything that Job went through without the end of Job. With no restoration. <clears throat> For thou hast trusted in thy wickedness. Thou hast said, None seeth me. For thy wisdom and thy knowledge, it hath perverted thee thou hast said in thine heart I am and none else beside me therefore shall evil come upon thee thou shalt not know from whence it riseth and mischief shall fall upon thee thou shalt not be able to put it off and desolation shall come upon thee suddenly which thou shalt not know so this is the end of the wicked that we see as flourishing in this world Happened to Babylon, happened to Assyria, all of the wicked down through history. It's happened each and every time because God is a just God. And God cannot abide with it in His holiness. So there's the contrast. That's the right view of what we see as So we could prospering, and we say why, we say how, or why not me? How come I can't get ahead? How come I can't push forward and be a winner? What do I? What do I have? What do we have? Where's our consolation? we get into that frame of mind and we're just looking for a bit of happiness we wouldn't think of being in the position of the Babylonian where we're actually the ruler and calling all the shots and not knowing failure we just want to have a victory something that we can hold on to What does God actually have in store for his people? Let's turn over to 1 Peter. Peter seems to deal with these emotions quite a bit in his books. He was... a man who had highs and lows and not just had those experiences but those experiences were recorded for us to see to talk about to learn from Peter recorded them Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Elect, according to the foreknowledge of God, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. So Peter is writing to the children of God. Okay, these people that have these experiences why me or why can't I or how can they he's writing to us and what does he call our minds to does he say your time is coming you're getting ready to live your best life today going to bait his hook with the prosperity gospel and hang it right out there. All you got to do is grab that hook and hold on to it. Claim it. Believe it. Have it. No. He's redirecting our focus from that thing that Humanly speaking, we would want, we desire, we feel like we need to something much better. Redirecting us towards Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So here is a big departure from the contrast. Thinking about the contrast, it seemed like everything was going right. Supreme power here on earth, all of the world's possessions, commands over any people, And the end thereof was desolation, loss, and death. The Babylonian undone. What does Peter say we have? A lively hope. Not a false hope into something that's going to die. Like in the contrast, but a lively hope. Okay, what's that lively hope based on? Oh, it's based on our high priest, right? We have a high priest that went, and this is really strange, but our high priest went and sacrificed the perfect sacrifice. And the high priest was the perfect sacrifice. So then the high priest. Sacrificed. To pay for our debt. Now dead. Then resurrects himself. How in the world. That doesn't happen. It did happen. So we have a lively hope, a lively hope, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's something that rot, destruction, invading armies, or whatever is bad news to you can't take away. There's no bad news that can undo that good news. To an inheritance incorruptible. So that lively hope is to an inheritance incorruptible. Okay, what is the nearest thing? to perfection that we have ever seen in this natural world or heard of. What is it to you? Is it somehow you've got this peach tree in your yard and All the blooms didn't frost and fall off. And there's these peaches on it that are as big as grapefruit. And the bugs didn't eat them for some reason. And the deer aren't eating them. And it's just ripe. Today, the best day. Is that perfection? How long does that peach stay like that. So ripe that it can't possibly last 24 hours. Okay, If I didn't get you with the peach, replace peach tree with tomato vine in your garden. And it's got that big tomato. And you've got homemade bread with mayonnaise put on it already on the counter and you just need to kind of put your hand on it and the tomato just falls off in your hand. Is that the nearest thing, the perfection you've ever seen on this earth? Maybe. I'm not going to talk about brand new cars because they don't last either. Okay, how about we get out of our lives for a minute and start thinking about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. No corrupt culture to deal with. No sin in this world. No bad guys. No thorns. No death. Every day is just right. Never had a problem in life, but corruptible. Sinless, in fellowship with the Father, but corruptible. So even that isn't where Jesus, I mean, where Peter is taking us with this lively hope that we have through Jesus. This lively hope that takes us to an inheritance incorruptible, something that can't be described by any earthly experience that we have or that anybody else has had as well. An inheritance incorruptible. Okay, this is what our contrast felt like they had. What Babylon falsely exalted itself to. Unbounded by death, Not subject to loss. Nothing can come in and take it away. No John chapter ten. We're held in the hands of Christ. No man may pluck him out of our out of his hand. Not subject to loss. Lively hope to an inheritance incorruptible. And undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Reserved. I know it seemed like back when I was a kid we dealt with reservations more than these days but some restaurants still you can call and make reservations and say, hey, I would like to eat dinner this date and this time, and they'll set you your table, and then you can go there and eat there because you have a reservation then, or a hotel reservation, vacation getaway, or whatever it is, there are reservations Here, Peter is talking about our reservations in heaven. A spot particularly designed, made, and prepared for you by Jesus. Quite a difference from the contrast. Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So that kept by the power of God, that is a continual thing. That's ongoing through our life. And also into eternity. We maybe don't think about that all the time. But Adam and Eve in the garden had no culture of sin. No history of sin. Never even sinned one time. But then they turned into sinners, didn't they? in heaven we will be kept by the power of God from that. We'll be in a better place than Adam and Eve were in that sinless but corruptible Garden of Eden. But that kept by the power of God isn't just something that we can look forward to in heaven. That's something that we have now. We hold on to that now. When you're wondering, why is the contrast doing so well? Or why is life so hard for me? Life's never been as hard for you as it's been for me. Let me tell you. I know that we've been through times where we've probably all felt like that. Maybe Job had it worse. Maybe he didn't. But certainly nobody I know has had it as bad as me. While we're feeling that, We're actually kept by the power of God so that we're not going to that bad place that we're afraid of. Or we're not staying in the... whatever it is that's captivating your mind. But we're actually kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation unto salvation that's what we're kept for why? God's got this place called heaven that he wants to fill up with people to worship him forever and ever a happy people An incorruptible people, a blessed people, saved out of something to worship Him, ready to be revealed in the last time. And that's where we struggle. Why? Because I say, I can't see it, I'm not there, I'm in the pit of despair. Or, I'm down in the dumps. I can't see what I'm being kept for. Peter understands that, so he's explaining to us here what God has in store for us. Just bits and pieces, by the way. Remember, Paul said it wouldn't be lawful for him to even talk about the glories that he saw it's not lawful for Paul to talk about it, I'm assuming it's not lawful for anybody to talk about. Otherwise, we'd all be so heavenly minded, we'd be of no earthly use, right? We'd be saying, I'm ready. <laughs> Any time now. You're taking too long. You know, we're actually supposed to be that way, even so, come, Lord Jesus. But I get my head mixed up and I'm like, kids didn't even catch it. I said, I'm like, wait. Don't come today, come tomorrow. Or come after we go to the beach, go camping. Don't come now, maybe next year. We get caught up in the things of this world. Ready to be revealed In the last time. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, verse 6 though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. So God has trials that He allows into our lives hard times, bad things bad days bad weeks bad seasons why? so that we know more about what Christ went through while he was here yeah understand his sufferings better To see what we've been pulled out of? Hmm. So there really is a purpose to our sufferings? That stinks. I just want them taken away. I don't want to deal with them. I don't want to think about them. I don't want to feel them. God has a purpose for them. A purpose for our sufferings. One of them may be to better understand Christ's sufferings. One of the older fellows in Pulaski was talking about possessions that he had and how much they meant to him. And God's been in the business of teaching him that that one's really not that important. That one over there is really not that important either. And all of these here, they really don't mean to me what they used to mean to me or what I thought they meant to me. Christ matters to the believer. And the longer he holds us and shows us the corruption in nature, lets us experience bits and pieces of how this world is falling apart and we're falling apart in it then we understand a little bit better the blessings that are in store for us. If you went from blessing to blessing to blessing to blessing here on this earth, never knew loss, never knew heartache never knew pain and suffering and then you go into heaven in the glory just a continuation of all the great things that you had here on this earth where would your heart be how would you learn experience know in your heart Well, really, I'm in a special place that I don't deserve to be in. I shouldn't be here in heaven. I shouldn't have everything right. This is all a great blessing. How would we know that? If all we experienced was what was presented in the contrast. A supreme life of ease and power and wealth, comfort, everything the soul could desire. That would develop an entitlement mentality that I deserves something special because I am me. Now God is teaching us. Now for a season if need be ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. That the Trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So the trials that we go through now are a preparation of the soul for that which is to come. For the believer. So in the midst of that. Peter says. Wherein ye greatly rejoice. That's a course correction. I want to be like. David in the Psalms. And. Why are the. Wicked prospering, and why am I struggling? Why are things so hard for me? <clears throat> Peter explains all that: that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried be, by with fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. The trial of our faith. So our faith is actually on trial with these sufferings. On trial. So being accused, being tried... Being examined, proven, all these things that you think of with a courtroom trial, and what happens to the believer's faith in that time. at the appearing of Christ is it found to be a dead faith that person was suffering but they were hopeful they kept a positive attitude and now we really see that it's all for naught is that what Peter said? saying? no He's saying that the trial of your faith is proven through these times. Refined in these times. Examined. And then at the end, determined to have been in the right place. Why? Why? Faith in Christ thats where the believer's heart is. Faith in Christ. Faith in the hand that's holding it. So Peter's fast forwarding to the future here. But at the end, When Christ does appear, will be found unto praise and honor and glory. Why is it faith? Well, here's another difference from the contrast. The Babylonians' position was all based upon stuff that was seen. Felt, experienced. The Babylonian expected the life of ease and comfort and authority because that's what the Babylonian knew. It's what the Babylonian had last year, had today, and expected to have into the future. And then that all was taken away. Our faith, verse 8, whom having not seen, ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. So the Christian's hope is based on something that we can't see and haven't fully experienced yet. completely different from the contrast whom having not seen ye love and whom though now ye see him not yet believing ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory receiving the end of your faith even the salvation of your souls so the contrast is perfect The contrast in every way. On the Babylonian side, you've got ease, power, comfort, everything going well. But nothing but death, destruction, and ruin at the end. On the child of God's side, you have a trial of your faith. Bad times. Suffering. Questioning. Why me? Couldn't I just read about Job and that be good enough? I believe the Bible. It's not good enough just to read though the Lord has designed us to need to know know based on experience to have full fellowship with Christ and then to keep the contrast perfect at the end, receiving the end of our faith, even the salvation of our souls. So instead of death, ruin, and destruction at the end, it's actually everything that the Babylonian thought that they had in this life, the Christian actually has in heaven Peter goes on to say that this is something that God's people been thinking about for thousands of years talking about for thousands of years working on for thousands of years of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. So from Peter's time on back, people have been dealing with this issue, considering it, mulling over it. What year is it now? 2021 for a little bit longer. So since Peter's time, for thousands of years, right? People have been continuing to mole over this issue. This great salvation that's been provided to God's people. Searching what, verse 11, or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. So Peter's saying that we've seen this pattern already in the life of Christ. This pattern that we're in the middle of now. We've already seen it in the life of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into angels hold a special place in thought sometimes we think a lot about them sometimes usually we don't think about them very much And then there's those Christians over there that all they want to think about, all they want to talk about is angels. And they write books on them and have books on them and studies and always talking about angels. And we're not that way, right? Do we think about angels marveling at salvation? And what God has done for humanity. That's what they're doing. Angels looking at God dealing with his people. And trying to understand it. Trying to figure it out. Why is God doing this? How is God doing this? What is it all for? Angels. Messengers. Servants of God. Who for thousands of years, since creation, have been serving God perfectly, following all His orders, Accomplishing their mission just right every single time, never failing, never having an accident, you know, God's angels, never thwarted, then they run into these people that never seem to get anything right. They're just screw-ups. Mistakes after mistakes after mistakes. It's all they do. It's all they're good for. And then God invested His Son into them to make them right. To change them from mistake factories. You know? Factories, I work at Volvo trucks. We build trucks Sometimes they put the key in usually at the end of the line and turn the truck on and it drives away Sometimes it doesn't sometimes they have to have a forklift which comes and picks up the back of the truck and drags it off the line Okay, the goal for Volvo Trucks is to build a truck that you turn the key and it drives off. Okay, we're mistake factories. We're always making mistakes. Sometimes newer ones and better ones than before. And never break down. And then God... And his infinite wisdom wanted to have these mistake factories fixed, changed to where they would not be making mistakes anymore, changed to incorruption. So there's no possibility of manufacturing mistakes anymore. Of being down in dumps. And struggling. And making more mistakes. So the angels are looking into that and trying to figure it out what all is going on there there's a lot going on there is it the song that we sing about if the oceans were full of ink and the sky was a scroll couldn't contain the words of all that's going on there and the redemption of mankind. So, with all of that in mind, all that being accomplished on our behalf, even though now for a season you're in heaviness through manifold temptations, in the trial of your faith, Peter has an exhortation for us. He says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Hope is the common theme here. In this chapter, we get discouraged, worried, or wondering at the prosperity of the contrast. Peter's redirecting our mind towards Jesus. Hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That lively hope that he mentioned earlier in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us unto a lively hope. By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's where I want to be when I'm struggling, when I'm discouraged, when things are not going just right in Little Brianville. Remember our lively hope. Praise God for it. There's no better place to be for you than to be here right now in this place that God has put you held secure in the hand of Christ.